0: That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: This episode is brought to you by Burlap and Barrel, a public benefit corporation working directly with smallholder spice farmers around the world to source unique, beautiful spices for professional chefs and home cooks.
2: This week on a special bonus episode of Meetin 3... We find out how Brexit could be changing the way that Brits eat. If you're not getting your food from the European Union, where Britain gets 30% directly, well, where are you going to get it from? As I put very succinctly, bye-bye fresh peaches from Italy, hello tinned peaches from Florida. Bye-bye fresh oranges, hello tinned oranges. Bye-bye free-range beef, hello hormone-injected beef. Tune in to hear about the UK's struggle to stabilize its food system on Meat and Three, HRN's weekly food news roundup. Available wherever you listen to podcasts.
3: Hello and welcome to Cooking Issues. This is Dave Arnold, your host of Cooking Issues, coming to you live on the Heritage Radio Network every Tuesday from whenever to whenever from Burnt Pizzeria and usual with Nastassia Hammer Lopez. How you doing? Good. I <laughs> uh, got Matt in the booth. How you doing? I'm doing great. Yeah? Yeah? Uh, so I'm, I, we have to do this every week. Did you, anything no. interesting? No. No. <sighs> Nothing interesting. What about you, Matt? Uh, no. God. People tune in just so they can see, you know what? Everybody else also doesn't do anything interesting during no, we the do. week.
4: That's It's just not food related. I'm not going to get into personal stuff. That's not, is that what you want?
3: I don't
1: know. Anything made of some ceviche. Do you want me to talk about the ceviche? Yes. All right, let's hear about your ceviche. I, I have nothing special to say about the ceviche. I put acid on fish, I let it sit there, and then I ate it later. <laughs> you should write a cookbook about I'm, this. I'm a genius.
5: Riveting.
3: I feel like... <clears throat> Like, where is ceviche in its arc now? Like, ceviche was, like, at the top of the universe for a while. Is it just gone back into kind of normal levels? I think it's normal. Like, I, yeah, I was like, oh, I have fish. I
1: don't want to do anything fancy. Oh, wait, ceviche exists.
3: Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Stassi, what are your thoughts on ceviche? Do you enjoy it? or? Mm hmm Hmm. Do you still, are you still, like, New York's sushi-eating queen, or do you not do that anymore?
4: No, I don't do that anymore.
3: You went through one, like, like a two-year period. But
4: that's because I was with Mark.
3: <coughs> yeah, 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 but I'm saying, but you had, like, the unbelievable sushi consumption repertoire. You'd eaten at all the places.
6: Mm-hmm.
3: Like, eat, like so at the higher-end places, people be like, that's the best. You're like, meh. Because you'd been to all of them. Yeah.
4: Yeah. He spent all of his money in sushi.
3: <laughs> so you're saying that Mark Ladner is a lot like Booker, my son, He's who spends old, all of right. his money in sushi. Or Wesley's Snipes. <laughs> <laughs> Are you like Wesley Snipes spends all of his money in the wow. sushi?
4: <laughs> Wesley Snipes didn't pay
3: his taxes. Yeah, but as a result of sushi consumption? Well, something consumption. <laughs> Are you saying that Mark doesn't pay his taxes? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here first, people. It's a big problem. Wesley Snipes <laughs> and Mark Ladner. That's probably the, is that the possibly the only thing they have in common? No, uh, they should
1: both be on the same episode of cooking issues. Yeah. You can invite them in.
3: I well I told you, I don't Like, Wesley Snipes had the, uh, I think it was Blade, did we talk about this? Blade, was it Blade 3? Is there a third Blade? Blade 3? I think so. And then one of, like, the, like, modern, like, uh, white, like, not too large human uh, action figures, one Gosling, one of the, was it Gosling in Blade 3? Anyway, Gosling equivalent white dude. And, uh, Wesley Snipes would only refer to him on set as... That cracker, and only in third person. So, like, if we were sitting here like this, he would say to the director, "Please get that cracker out of my sightline." <laughs> 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 and I think that's the best. Like, if if I could like have a job every day where I was ignored by Wesley Snipes and referred to only in the third person as that cracker, I feel like I would have arrived. Yeah, that would be the best. What do you think, Matt?
1: I think you need to bulk up if you're going to try and get that kind of role.
3: Gosling, I was saying, he wasn't big. No, Wesley Snipes was Blade. And I believe that, like, random white dude who <clears throat> may or may not have been a Gosling, I don't know, when we can look this stuff up, is, uh, was, uh, like, you know, kind of probably the guy who is just, you know, kind of caught up in the whole good guy vampire thing. Have any of you guys seen the Blade movies? No. God, no. <sighs> <sighs> All right. We're also joined by uh, two people in the studio. We have Kat Johnson, who is the communications director. Uh, so, in if this is the West Wing, which character is that? Is that Allison Janney, or is it, uh, or is it that Toby guy? Which which one are you?
5: I think I want to be Allison Janney. Yeah. I'll go with that. All right. All
3: right. Yeah. So, what is it that you're here? Oh, and we have unknown name, actually, longtime listener, hater of uh, Gildan brand shirts uh did, hates gildan t-shirts gildan right hates I think so. hates has the correct belief if the if the handle is correct if the social media handle is correct hot dog is not a sandwich no hot dog is a sandwich it's not a sandwich no, your come your, on. your handle is incorrect i'm going to get in this argument again oh, we'll save it we'll save Pass. it all right all right. Uh, on a so so where do we want to go first cat what's up
5: oh um well i have a thank you note for you the thank you notice from Marcy Goldman. She said that one of her readers let her know on a recent episode that you gave her a shout out about her recipes and called you called her a freaking genius. And she feels like she finally arrived. So she says thank
3: you. Ah well, please thank you. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like all I did was give you a shout out. You gave me recipes that I'm going to use for the rest of my life. So
5: what a what a there's no better gift than that.
3: No, really, right? I mean, like when, whenever like uh, someone comes up and they say, "Oh, I I got X Y Z tip," and that now I use that in my in Love my it. cooking routine or bar routine, I'm like, "Yes, that's the win." Yeah, you know what I mean? That's the win. That's all you can. That's all you can hope for in this ratty world. You know what I mean? But what are you here to do specifically? Just to tell us cool stuff?
5: Yeah, I mean, I'm gonna talk to you after the show.
3: Uh, it's
5: private.
3: You're not. Oh, like Nastasia's private private stuff.
5: What? Dave nah. knows
3: everything about my life. Oh, and no, please, it. more than more than I want. Do you want another question, though? I have a couple Wait, more questions. You won't say anything personally embarrassing about yourself, yet you make me talk about my robotic vacuum.
4: You wanted to, uh, and I have said. Why stuff is that embarrassing? My
3: the people needed to know about that, by the way.
4: Wait, it's the number, Dave.
3: Seven one eight four nine. Oh, nine seven two one two eight. That's seven one eight four nine seven two one two eight. Have we gotten any uh, comments on whether people think that Claire should come in and yes. be my life coach?
4: Someone <laughs> someone's oh. said that they want a whole episode with no commercials or anything dedicated to this.
5: The commercials keep the lights on, guys. I have to say that as the communications director. Are you
4: director. To do it, Dave? What? Are you willing to, to have her life? Okay, here's you? what... Yeah. This is what I think you should say. You should say, how do I get to a place where I don't have to carry my own stuff? How do I get people to listen? Like, that kind of stuff she will work through with you.
3: And she'll uh, say something to the kin of, you throw have, all your you stuff away, no don't have idea. a family, have, and move to a foreign country, which is no, what she did.
4: You have no idea what she's going to say. But
3: that's what she did.
4: Okay, but you have to be flexible and nice.
3: Here's the thing. What? Whoa, 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 whoa. Does anyone out there actually want me to be flexible? Yeah. Who wants me to be flexible? Uh, well,
4: we do
3: to get here yeah, on time. Oh, that's not flexibility. That's just doing what you say you're going to do, which I, in general, <laughs> like to do. But I don't know why. I don't know why I have a. a, a I don't know why. I don't, Honestly, I don't know why. I don't know why I'm always late. I really don't. You don't
5: care. About we'll it, work on else.
3: it. We'll work
1: on it. We We have a caller on the air who I I think I recognize.
3: Oh yeah, yeah. caller, you're on the air.
2: Hi, Jordana Rothman here. Hey,
3: oh. <laughs> friend of the show, Jordana Rothman. How you doing?
2: You know, I'm hanging in there. Dave, how
3: are you? Um, I'd say, you know, fair to middling.
2: Fair to middling, yeah.
3: yeah. I mean, that's the best we can hope for, I think. Yeah, yeah. That's the new win. Like, <laughs> like new s- win. slight loss is the new big win.
2: That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Dave, listen, I have a little incident this weekend and I wanted to talk it over with you, see what you think. Do it. Okay. So here's the thing this is not the first time this has happened, okay? <laughs> That's the first thing you need to know, okay? It's the <laughs> second time that it's happened. And the thing that happened is that I was visiting the, the sea wench, Nastasia the Hammer Lopez. Wow. At her decommissioned lighthouse in the uh, wild Stamford, Connecticut. This is all semi-true, and- by the way, people. Yeah, it's basically true. Yeah. It's basically true. Okay, so I was visiting, and we were having, like, a really cozy time, you know? We're, like, talking through our feelings. We were, like, painting our intentions. We played a few hands of rummy. I made a delicious robolita because she demanded it of me because I had wronged her, and she insisted that I cook her dinner. <laughs> so it was time to go to bed, and Nastassia and I like to sleep And bed. It was not bedtime. Like, it was time to go to bed. Let and her tell was... her story.
4: All right, sorry.
2: Honestly, she's one of the worst people but anyway it was time to go to bed and when we go to bed we like to sleep like charlie in the chocolate factory style <laughs> so like the you know like we sleep head to toe style you know what i'm saying
3: i do i do yeah. but i don't remember like which ones like josephine and joe i don't remember the other two grandparents names do you
2: no, I don't really remember them, but it's sort of irrelevant, I think, ultimately. Right, right. but yeah. You know, grand- grandparents-style, in the bed, wild Saturday night in our pajamas. We also went to Target. It was a big day. And uh, <laughs> we decided we were going to light a fire in the fireplace upstairs. Okay. And this was the second time this has happened, that we lit the fire, and the room filled with smoke. And I said, "Nastasia, the room is filling with smoke. This seems dangerous. And she said, it's not. The smoke detector would go off if it was. Guess what? Smoke detector went off again and again. We had to throw a flaming dura flame out a second story window into the churning sea from the balcony.
3: Which, by the way, that and sounds fun.
2: It was not fun. I'm going to say that the reason it was the most, the least fun, is because, because I was interrupting Saturday it. Night Live.
3: No Jesus.
2: And no. she, she, if you interrupt Saturday Night Live, it's literally it. Another thing you can't oh. do is laugh. Louder than her, or laugh if she is not laughing.
3: Okay, couple of, couple of things. You cannot laugh louder than Nastasia Lopez. One, not possible to do. Second, if Saturday Night Live was about to come on, it was clearly not bedtime. So I'm going to have to I give know. it to Nastasia on this one. It may be bedtime for the rest of the world, but anyone that knows Nastasia Lopez knows that if you have to take a daytime, if you have to power nap, you're going to be awake from 11:30 to one.
2: Let me ask you something. When is it time to go to bed? To get into bed, that is bedtime. Like whether you're sleeping or not, it is time for bed. Uh,
4: I see.
3: I don't have a TV near my bed anymore, so I don't I, it doesn't compute to me. Like of well, course I, I fall asleep on the couch quite a lot, so you
2: know. Yeah. yeah. We never do that because the couch is for painting and for rummy and the bed is for Saturday Night Live and for sleeping and for pulling flaming dura flames out of the fireplace using a baking sheet and a pair of kitchen tongs. And throwing it into the turning seat. So basically, why is it happening? And how can we stop it? And also, how can I convince Nastasia Lopez that it's dangerous and we shouldn't be lighting the fire? Because it's a bad idea. Okay, so okay.
3: Listen. First of all, oh first God. of all, I'm gonna I'm not giving this to Nastasia, so please don't yell at me, oh Jordana. But well, people no over, people overreact to a little bit of smoke. There's a couple things going on here. One, I'm assuming, I'm just assuming. That you guys check to make sure the flu is open.
4: Yeah, there's no flu.
3: Whoa, whoa, whoa! What? <laughs> no, no, I mean, it's just a big hole. But, but
4: there's just you there, can see the night sky. Yeah,
3: you sure. can. Mm-hmm. Okay, so people overreact, especially when a fire is starting. See, you know how everyone says where there's smoke, there's fire. What it really is is where there's smoke, there's inefficient fire, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. It's like the the whenever a fire is starting. Or if you have an inefficient burn, like whether the wood isn't totally dry, and you're going to get much more smoke, right? Which is why when you're doing a smoker, you don't light a roaring fire; you smoke it, you smoldering. you do inefficient, you do inefficient burning of the of the wood. All right. So this is why, like for instance, like uh, fancy Japanese Benchaton charcoal people like say, my charcoal makes no smoke. It's because like it's such that it supposedly burns efficiently enough that it's not creating a lot of smoke, it creates mainly heat, right? Okay. Right, right. Okay. Uh, for those of you who are big on the, on the what's Rudolph. it called? Rudolph. Uh, okay, so that's one. So anytime you're going to start a fire, unless you're going to start it, it's hard to start a fire completely efficiency, efficiently, you're going to get quite a bit of smoke on the startup. And what that smoke is not going to do is kill you, right? It will make your clothes smell like smoke. It will mess up the paint on your walls eventually by turning it a dingy smoke color. So if you've ever gone to, like, an old house with, like, a hearth, and you're like, man, just uh, what? You know what I mean? That, that look, that will eventually happen. But as someone who doesn't have to pay the rent in, the, in that place, Jordana, it may make your clothes smell a little bit, but it's not going to kill you, because the good news is, is that once it's going, the smoke's going to go away because you're going to start to draw.
4: No one lets me get to that point. <coughs>
3: <sighs> yeah. okay then, so, so
4: i'm, he, he, I'm sorry yep. this smoke
2: detector which doubles as a carbon monoxide detector and cooking detector whaling okay whaling that doesn't
3: <clears throat> seem safe so the so there's a couple of things with with detectors of various sorts right no one makes a detector smoke detector is legitimately detecting smoke Smoke detector shouldn't be anywhere near you're either cooking or lighting a fire because...
2: Oh, we keep it inside the fireplace. You're saying that's wrong.
3: (laughs) (laughs) The way the smoke detector works is it's got a little radioactive, safe radioactive source in it. And it's constantly emitting a certain number of particles, and it's looking to see how many particles it's receiving on its sensor. And then when smoke goes through it, it could be anything. For instance, fog machines set off smoke detectors. Okay. So if you, if you, any particulate matter that goes in between the radioactive source and the detector is going to intercept some of the particles, the smoke detector is going to be like, what? And then it's going to go off. Right, so it could be you know smoke from your uh, from your fog machine. I set off my entire building smoke detectors on Halloween <laughs> with one of those things, which was a nightmare because I had to rush downstairs on a 20-story building and tell people that not to send the fire department based on my smoke detector while the trick or treaters were coming around. Um, mm-hmm. But. In general, what a smoke detector is not there to do is to alert you to the fact that there's smoke in your house while you're awake, because guess what? You're awake and you know that, right? Smoke (laughs) detector is there to alert you to smoke in the situations where you're not actively generating smoke. Like for instance, your house catches on fire. So any small living situation is smoke detectors is, I know we need them for safety people, but it's inherently problematic. Ditto, like carbon monoxide detectors, there are things we do that generate excess carbon monoxide or, you know, conversely, back when I used to have oxygen detectors around all the time at the French <laughs> Culinary Institute, like oxygen detectors, they're not meant, they, they, they go off before you're in danger because they're meant to alert you to anything that's out of the norm. Not, none of these detectors are built around allowing you to enjoy known transient situations without wailing at you. Why would a smoke detector go off for just heat? Like, they don't go off for heat. They shouldn't does, go off for heat. Mine do, it's, Who is it's, that it's, person? That's it's a hot, <laughs> it, This person believes two things that I'm aware of. One, incorrect. A hot dog is a sandwich, which we can have this argument again. And two, not a sandwich. And two, that Gildan shirts are created by Satan. Are you, fami- shirt? Are you familiar shirt with Gildan, theatrical? the brand?
2: No, but I like the idea of a gilded shirt. No, and no, not, not gilded. gilden, gilded.
3: gilden. And so the theory is is that they're... Well, why don't you explain the theory? Okay, so the first thing with... One, it's Josh. Hey, Josh. Um, yeah, what up, Josh? Hi. Uh, Welcome
6: to
2: the family, Josh.
6: Oh, uh, you know, it's, <laughs> it's great to be here. Uh, Gildan just... It's not that I hate Gildan shirts. It's just that I choose not to... Like, people are entitled to wear Gildan shirts, uh, they should exist. They serve you know, a market of people who uh, you know, don't like shirts that are comfortable or like fit
3: particularly well. Um, we got to know. get the, the owner of Gilded. Was it you that sent on my social media the image of the owner of that shirt company saying oh, yeah. that they had never seen a human torso? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, and Josh's point is, is that for a mere 50 cents extra, you could go up to Anchor. Which
2: I, I don't, great shirts. these are. I just googled Gildan shirt and they're selling for $1.69. I'm gonna say I aim a little higher, you know. I <laughs> like I 50 cents higher,
6: is what I'm saying. Break into the $2 range, you know.
2: No, I like an Everlane t shirt, specifically the raglan sleeve Everlane t, it's got a nice neckline. It's, uh, it's, it's uh, traceable in terms of, you know, it's factory or whatever. I really, I, I care for it. I do like it. She's right.
3: Wait, Everline? Is this? A, do they make only uh, women's shirts or do they make all kinds of t-shirts? All,
2: all kinds of, of tees.
3: I'll tell you what I like. I like the Bluffworks t-shirts. I think they're good. Bluffworks is a good shirt. Yeah. yeah. What about well, you, Nastassi? Anyway. What is your brand of shirt that you enjoy?
4: Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Not, not any of
3: the ones you're talking about. Have you tried any of the ones we've... T- have you tried yes. this Everlane shirt? Mm-hmm. You didn't enjoy it? No. Like Why? Goop,
4: goop shirts.
3: Goop, goop shirts. Goop shirts. Is yeah. goob a thing? Dude. Is this Gwyneth <laughs> Paltrow's <laughs> new thing, goob? Goob. What about you, Matt? What's your shirt What's your shirt preference? <laughs> I don't have a t-shirt preference. What about, like...
2: Matt wears a hair shirt.
3: <laughs> wow. <laughs>
2: what? He's constantly, he's constantly doing tenants.
3: Ah, uh, well, what did he do to you? <laughs> By the way, for those of you that don't know, they used to, it's like, have, you, have any of you ever worn as your, under, as your against the skin garment, like, rough-hewn, unworsted wool felt? Like a bra? Felt? <laughs> no. No, like as, just as, like <laughs> no. a nightshirt. It's It's a nightmare. You wouldn't do it. Just take your wool overcoat and put it on against your skin, and you're like, yo, this would suck. So a hair shirt is like that, but worse. Even coarser, even more. I'm
2: sending, what? I'm sending the Safia a picture of a hair shirt that you can all enjoy.
3: Yeah, yeah, okay, nice. So, yeah. is it is she correct, Matt? Uh, I, no, I've never tried a hair shirt. I, <laughs> I
1: my, my, I'm covered in always covered in my own hair, so that's right. kind of like an undergarment.
3: Right. Are you are you a long johns on the outside, winter kind of a guy? Uh, no, long john
1: under t-shirt, and I don't care what brand t-shirt.
3: Hmm, long.
2: Forgive yourself, Matt. <laughs> I, uh,
3: I am an always wear a T-shirt no matter what. I'm always a minimum T-shirt human. You shower with a T-shirt. I, but then I have to remove it. You know how hard it is to remove a wet T-shirt? <laughs> Any idea how hard it is? Do you know how many T-shirts I've ripped in half trying to reach over my back and remove off of my back wet? Like, like how many? Like, like, how?
0: No, How many? <laughs>
3: Mm, dozens like where Ow. you grab the back of the shirt and lift up on it and the whole collar just rips off of it you've never had this happen?
6: so this is more to the point, higher quality t-shirt doesn't rip when you're taking it off
3: <laughs> well, it's because I use t-shirts where other people wouldn't like when I'm going into the ocean or like when I'm in a pool because I just don't, I'm never uncovered you know what I'm saying? Uh-huh. never, never uncovered uh, alright, so uh, what about Hanes, traditional Hanes or Fruit of the Loom I think this is an okay t shirt. This comes from like
6: trauma from my teenage years where I worked in a, a place that made t shirts, a screen printing place. So we like manufactured t shirts for people. And gildans were always the worst. Their reps were all kind of jerks. Um, and the shirts are bad. So it's like, you know, if it was just a bad shirt, I would be less passionate about it.
3: But their reps were also jerks. Yep. Mm. Mm. All right.
2: I made the Saskia custom t shirt
4: once.
3: Was it a gildan? No.
4: It was no. American
3: Apparel. Uh, wait, wait. American Apparel, like, first of all, they're out of business, and that guy was canceled, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, canceled. But were they were they good shirts back in the day? Yes. Great shirts. Yeah, they were
2: good shirts. I had a, she, <coughs> I, I had a shirt made that was American Apparel, and it said gauche on it. And I gave to her as a gift, <laughs> and then she immediately spilled kebab grease all no, over it. No, it, so uh, it was red wine. It was red wine red wine and kebab grease good pairing
3: good pairing (laughs) yeah yeah. well you know living up to the gauche by the way like is gauche an okay thing to say is it is it anti left handed people or is it no it's left it's left bank it's gauche like left bank of Paris is gauche so it comes from hating people on the left bank alright that's fair
2: well I don't know as long as it's not anti left handed
3: people I'm good with it that's sinister
2: fear of left handed people because I don't know satan or something you have a fear of left-handed people no i'm saying that that i think that's like a sort of like deep in the culture
3: yeah that's where know, the word sinister comes from drama.
2: yeah but wait, this is one of those things we need to get rid of
3: like anti-left-handedness is something we need to get rid of definitely in general
2: yeah, that's, that's fair but anyway gauche is just a lacking social experience or grace not tactful and crude and so i anyway i got it for Nastasia. because of those Completely lousy left
3: bank parisians so gauche, <laughs> so gauche, uh, which is weird, know well, no, yeah. so so, b- so b- back to cooking one uh, always wear a shirt under your chefs jacket. people. This is the thing is always wear a shirt under your chef's jacket because of this. nobody in a restaurant wants to see pit stains on your whites. I'm telling you there is there is a grand total of zero people on earth that want to see pit stains on your chef's whites. And let me say this. All it takes for a lot of people like me, if I, when I was, a, I, t- I told the story, right, when I was a kid, I went to this place where I ended up working when I was in high school and the chef just joked with me, joked with me that he was making the hamburger patties with oh his armpit. Oh
4: I hate this story.
3: And I couldn't eat for the whole meal. I couldn't eat the whole meal. I, My, my mom, which by the way, I can eat people. You know what I mean? Like, Even when I was a kid, I could eat anything. I could eat my burger, plus your burger, plus the other person's burger. All because my dad once, when I was a kid... You know this story? Yes,
4: this one I thought
5: you were telling.
3: No. He ate my... I won't get into it. He ate my hamburger because I was being a little weasel about not eating and then I was scarred from that point so now I'm the fastest eater that anyone has ever seen in a non-competitive environment. I am the... I am one of the faster non-competitive, just my normal speed of eating and Nastasia hates me for it. Yes. True? hmm Anyway, so he made this motion like he was going to press the hamburger with it, and I couldn't eat the whole night. They thought I was sick because I couldn't eat it. People don't want to eat in a restaurant where you have... Pit stains or sweat stains on your on your chef whites. Please wear a shirt under those chef whites. Hey Dave, well, we still haven't talked about the smoke, but yes.
5: Okay, we'll talk about the smoke and then I think we should take a break so that we can pour wine.
3: Yes. And have Okay. A commercial. Here's what's here's what happened to you. Uh, depending you on she's the there ta- anymore. Well, no, I'll tell there. her. Oh, okay. I'll tell her what happened anyway, or you can tell her. Yeah. <laughs> so what you need to do is uh, you need to start the flue drawing. And once the flue starts to draw, then it's going to be a lot better. So a very fast way to do this might not be safe where you are, but it is there near the ocean, is to take a wad of newspaper and loosely crumple it like into a big ball and put it like right underneath the flue and light it. And then do that once or twice, and you're gonna heat up all the air in the flu. And once you've heated all that dense air in the flu with a really fast fire, then the flu is gonna start to draw. And then any flame you have, the smoke is gonna draw up out of the thing, right? So get your fire ready to start. And then above where the fire is gonna be, light a couple of wads, big, big old wads of newspaper, and whoosh, you'll get this huge, flat, fast fire, and you'll see that the stuff starts drawing up. Up the chimney. Once you're drawing, then you can start your longer taking fires that's going to have more smoldering before they get rolling, right?
1: Is this a Sears All use case? Can you just point your Sears All up the chimney and let yeah. it rip for a little while? I don't know that that's
3: enough BTUs fast enough, but I like where you're going with this. <laughs> I like where you're going. Uh, another another thing is, you know, I haven't used a Duraflame since I was like eight because I start real fires, but. Uh, yes. Yeah, but. I mean, aren't they designed to start burning pretty quickly? They do. I, I think just, the wood I was ran. wet. Yeah. The, no, the, the wood
4: was not wet
2: The wood with the big air quotes
3: around it? The no, it no, no, was a
4: Duraflame with a piece of wood on top of it.
3: Oh, was it was cool. the wood that was smoking. Yeah. Well, you should get yeah. the Duraflame going first. Mm-hmm. Then after it is going and your, and your chimney is drying properly, then add the stuff that's going to smolder. But I will tell you this. Uh, wood that is wet right, not dried properly, up to half of the heat output of the wood is used in boiling the water off.
4: Mm, wow.
3: So it's like, it's not even close. So like, if you have infinite wood, then sure, go ahead and burn wet wood. It's going to pop. It's going to like throw crap onto your, uh, more creosote onto the outside of your chimneys, uh, et cetera, et cetera. But you're only going to get about half the BTUs out of it. And I'm not going to get into this argument about whether, Fireplaces actually heat or cool your house depending it's a huge thing on the internet. If you don't know what I'm talking about, just google it. I'm not going to get into it here. I'm not. I just I don't know. I'm not. Uh, now, what do you say? Yeah. Commercial break. Break more
5: wine and then we'll talk about the wine.
3: We'll be right back with Cookie issues. <laughs> I'm Ethan Frisch, co-host of Why Food and co-founder of Burlap and Barrel,
1: a public benefit corporation working directly with smallholder spice farmers around the world to source unique,
3: beautiful spices for professional chefs and home cooks. We set our partner farmers up to export their own crops for the first time, and they get access to a whole new market here in the U.S., and we get access to spices that other companies can't source. We're honored to work with restaurants including Eleven Madison Park, Blue Hill, and Chez Panisse, as well as thousands of home cooks across the country visit us at burlapandbarrel.com.
1: Dave, go. And hey, we're back.
3: <laughs> I thought oh you said you were going to bring the music back up. No, no. He comes down. How many years have you been doing this? Matt comes, he's like, listen, we're going to bring the music down. Then we're gonna bring it back. Last
1: week, last week, you guys are in there chitter chatting away. There was no time for me to turn the. All right. That's all the whole right. show, chitter chattering on it. away. We're gonna work on it.
3: That's all we do. We'll get better every week. <laughs> we'll get, get. That's, you know what? Good life goal. Just get a little better. A little better. <laughs> get a little better every time. Get a little bit better.
5: That's the next big win.
3: <laughs> Just a little better. Just a little better. All right, so you have a question? Shoot.
5: Okay, the question is from Alex from Toronto. I recently dry-aged a duck in my refrigerator following the instructions from Sirius Eats' Sasha Marks. It was extremely delicious. Could I do this with a chicken? Would it also be delicious?
3: Hmm. I don't know. I mean, look. Yes, you could do it. Like, yes, you could do it. In other words, like, the flesh of a chicken is no more conducive... As far as I know, the flesh of a chicken is no more conducive to growing bacteria than duck. There's an assumption that um, it is more contaminated, right? But if you're applying treatments to it to cause, uh, you know, microbes to not grow on it and to therefore – and also to die out during the drying thing, I don't see why you could – I don't see why you couldn't do it. But then the question is you have to get somebody to eat it, right? And therein lies – Therein lies the rub, right? Is that uh, a lot of people don't want to eat, you know, uncooked, even if it's cured, chicken. But I'm going to bet you could do it. You know, I would make sure that you're using a a technique that is kind of guaranteed for um, killing off, uh, you know, the the bacteria of interest.
5: You could still cook it after you dry aged it.
3: I mean, oh, dry aged or dried? Dry aged. Oh, no, don't do that. I don't think chicken's going to get any better, and here's why. Chicken is already so freaking tender. The average chicken that we have is, like, six six and change weeks old when it's slaughtered. I thought you meant, like, make it, like, a... Like, like a, a,
5: a pastrami, like a duck past- or whatever yeah, you call it. Like a yeah, 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 yeah,
3: yeah, 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 Charcuterie
5: board thing. Yeah. That would be weird with a chicken, I would think.
3: Yeah, uh, I don't really... It's already tender as hell. Yeah. So I would say don't. Just roast it. Uh, yeah, if you want now, uh, so... Uh, Jeremy, right? Omansky no. and from Larder and uh, and Rich Sheve, our cook quest, friend of the show, just wrote a book on Koji. Did you read it? I read it. I'm supposed to give them a blurb. It was due yesterday. I have not written it yet, uh, but I will write a blurb. It's never happening. It's Not true! Anyway, Estasi just likes to be a jerk to me.
4: It's never happening.
3: She likes to be a jerk. I'll put money on it. Okay, how much? We'll see now. You'll no, worry. how much? <laughs> no, no, no. How much? <laughs> no, if it's never gonna happen, then you can put some money <laughs> no, on it. How much, now much money? How you're gonna do it? How much now money? Now that I'm putting money on put you, it filling it. prophecy. How much money? Nothing now. Uh, uh,
1: Everybody get in the chat. Start putting money down in the chat. We won't let them yeah. know.
3: Anyway, uh, so uh, they're writing a book on Koji, first ever, I think, book solely on on Koji. So we have to have him on. Uh, it's coming out I thing in May. Yeah, I do it. Yeah, have fun. Yeah. Anyway, so uh, they would say that if your goal is to so there's a couple of things going on in dry aging, right? Uh, in any kind of aging, theoretically, one is you're tenderizing the the proteins. Enzymatic, like the enzymes are breaking down the muscle fibers and the protein, making them more more tender. Or as Jacques Pépin used to say, more tender, tender. But like he's you ever you ever go see him doing the demos at the French culinary? Tender. Anyway, so <laughs> the. Uh, That's one thing. The other thing is that as proteins uh, are breaking down, but it's also dehydrating and so dehydration is going to increase the um, overall flavor of the meat just because you're getting rid of excess water. Um, So there's that. And then the last thing is is that as proteins break down, they turn into free amino acids, and free amino acids have flavor, whereas whole proteins do not, typically, right? So those are the basic basic things. Um, so what if Rich was here? I think what Rich would say is is that if you if you know, the tenderization is not a problem with chicken because it's basically veal at this point already. So just let it. You know, it's already tender enough. Have you ever have you ever said to yourself, man? Unless they haven't overcooked the chicken, have you ever been like, chicken's tough? Unless it's a foreign chicken, right? Like like other countries chicken, which are older chickens, are tough er and have more flavor, right? But American chickens, because they are the veal of chickens, they're the worldwide equivalent of veal for chickens, like they are tender enough. I don't need it to be more tender. What about you Josh? You need your chicken to be more tender?
6: No, perfectly content with the tenderness of my chicken. That's
3: right. No one's ever people are like, "Oh, it's dry. It's overcooked." No one's ever like, "It's well, Nastasia aren't going to get into no. tough chicken. I'm not going to get into. It. We've already had this. That we had an argument last week off air. It was ugly. I ended up bloody. Anyway, um so uh, the one thing you might want to do if you want to up the umami profile is use some form of short acting uh, koji based, uh, you know, enzymatic marinade like uh, shio koji or something like this. But we'll talk more about that when, you know, when they come on to talk about their, their koji book. Right. Yeah? Right. Great. OK. Uh Wine. Okay, what do we got here, Josh? While I get up the actual questions from the show. Uh so this is a
6: sparkling chardonnay from a producer called Tebow Jennison. Uh former champagne producer, now making some really nifty wine in uh Charlottesville. Ah, mm-hmm.
3: oh, this is from this is from Charlottesville? Yeah. Oh, cheers.
6: Get two Virginia wines for you. Cheers.
3: Cheers. Virginia? Land of the uh land of the serpentine walls.
6: Yeah. Yeah. I suppose.
3: What do you think, Nastassi? It's
4: good. good. Do you like
3: it? What does Claire say about Chardonnay?
4: She loves it, obviously. <laughs>
3: <laughs> my favorite text. Dave, I, my favorite text do not. I've ever seen.
4: It was a date. We cannot talk about her. I'm not talking about the date. <laughs>
3: okay. That's not the important part. She, but she said, and and we, I use this now as this is my my go-to thing to say. When anytime someone says the word Chardonnay. <laughs> She's like, I was having a glass of wine, Chardy Ops.
5: (laughs) Chardy Ops? (laughs) Chardy Ops. Ops. Chardy Ops. I got it.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Chardy Ops. I'm like, (laughs) I'm like, hell yeah. Is she an oaky buttery girl? Oh, yeah. Big old big butter.
4: Big Kendall Jackson. (laughs) Yeah. Enough with her. What do you mean? (laughs) I'm going to get in trouble.
6: Charlie's good. I get uh, harassed by my Somalia at work all the time for referring
3: to it as Savvy B as well. Savvy B? Oh, my God. That would be a great rap name. Right. Savvy B. I had another one. Dax was going to have some sort of food-related... Oh, uh, he was going to be tiki mugs with a Z. Because <laughs> Dax now exclusively drinks his seltzer out of a tiki mug. He was given for Christmas time or his birthday, like a tiki mug. And so at the table, he's always pounding seltzer out of a tiki mug. Good living. Yeah, right? That's a like, tiki mugs. Tiki mugs. Tiki mugs. What what style of rap is tiki mugs? Is that like is that like a North Carolina rapper?
6: That sounds like like it'll like bounce.
3: Trop house. Oh okay, I was told I was told I met yesterday someone who did the exhibit design. His name is Rio. He, did, he does the, did the exhibit design for the fourth floor of the uh, African-American Museum in D.C. where, like, the mothership is and Bootsy Collins and Public Enemy, all that music section. He did the curation for it. And uh, he told me that in Atlanta, T.I. has a trap museum.
5: I'm not surprised.
3: That's the craziest thing I've ever heard in my isn't life.
5: It, isn't it the pink house? Was that, is he behind that one? There's, like, a... Pink House, they turned into a museum or something.
3: I I don't know. I've not been to Atlanta. Anyway, I was uh, just there.
5: Cool I missed it.
3: Well, apparently. So I said, like, I was just like, what? Like, what is that? Like, is it like a bunch of like, the, the horror story in my mind is it's all a bunch of like white suburban teenagers going in to play. Uh, to me, it sounds like a huge nightmare. He had never been. Does it sound like a huge nightmare to you? Uh, probably, but no worse than the selfie museum. Oh, which was called out on the Oscars. Now, this is why... Now, Nastasia hates movies to go see them because the mouth noises. Hmm. Right? And sitting next to people she doesn't know. This is why... If you ever ride the subway with Nastasia and she's known you longer than about eight minutes, she'll pole position and force you to sit next to her. By the way, on the subway, that means sitting at the seat that is by the pole so no one can sit on the one side and force you to sit next because she does not want to have any portion of her next to someone she doesn't know. (laughs) Right? Yeah. Yeah. And she also doesn't want, as much as she likes to have friend of the show Paul on and make mouth noises to offend our listeners doesn't enjoy mouth noises while she's watching movies. In fact, she's ruined movies for me now when I go, because now when I hear people's See? popcorn crunchling, <laughs> like it's a quiet people wait for the loud part of the movie to go into that freaking plastic bag. And movie people, why are you giving people plastic bags in a movie?
2: You know
3: what I'm saying? That noise that the I plastic know, that's bags I make?
2: Don't
3: go. And then like you can't you can't, like, rip the top of that bag open. You have to, every time you put your your grubby fist into that bag, you have to punch through it and make all those damn crinkly noises on the way to get whatever rancid thing you're getting out of it. You know what I mean? And if you're sneaking food in, which I know you are, I know you're doing that. Listen, I've done it. Bring a noise-free bag. Like, what's the noise? Does someone make the equivalent of, like, a velvet food bag that you could just kind of Slip into and out of, get a nice. <laughs> Go in, get your snack. Come out, eat it. Like I'm that guy that when I used to sneak in, because now you know what, I'm I'm too old to worry about sneaking stuff in. But we like, uh, you know, like even the can used You'd to cough. make me nervous. You
4: would cough. We would have to cough
3: as kids. We just wait for the loud part. Wait for everyone to get yeah. shot, and then as people are getting shot, because you know, it's, click. You would cough. I don't want to hear your coughing covering up the can. <laughs> There's no usher in the film, Nastasia. This is your thing. There's no, like, authority it was my figure. My thing it was my mom. Your mom, your mom out first loud would be t- like, "Cough yeah. when you open the can, Nastasia." Yeah. Well, first we had to do.
4: That. <laughs> first, we, what did we have to do first?
3: Oh well.
4: <laughs> Ask at the bar.
3: Well, can we talk about it? I think so. So, I have always so. If, if any of you have ever worked in a situation where cans of soda are stored prior to their being used. You know that they're stored in filthy warehouses with uh, dust on them, rat poop on them, rat pee. A lot of times they're not even overwrapped. They're being, like, stored in unsanitary situations. They're being loaded. People are picking their nose while they're loading it, wiping their butts and not washing. All kinds of stuff is happening. So I'm a huge believer. This is why I like a bottle, first of all. I like a bottle. And... It has been. I, I cannot remember a time I did not wipe the top of cans thoroughly before I drink out of them. And I, I urge all of you to look at the cans of soda that you get and look and see the filth ring. So the way the cans are built, there's a there's a canyon all the way around the thing for strength, right? Because the the top of the thing you think of it is flat, but it's actually a dome, and there's like a, an imprint in the top, and in that little in that little ridge. Off, more often than not, you will see micro and sometimes macro filth. And so, like, I always kind of wipe it out. And it turns out Nastasia has also always done this, but for a different reason because in Nastasia's family, it is believed that there is at some point a man, very important, a man somewhere in the production of the soda who will be wiping his genitals on the top of the can. And so, you have to wipe the top of the can to remove the genital aspect of it. Is that true or false? Yes.
4: Yes. Yeah. Yes.
3: yeah. So anytime for instance, in a couple of minutes, we're going to be going to the uh, takeout place uh, at Roberta's here. We're going to get two cans of seltzer. I'm going to get a napkin, and I'm going to hand it to Nastasia, and I'm going to say, for the genitals." And then she will wipe <laughs> off her can and throw it away. And that's what's going to happen.
6: But is that like? Is just a napkin wipe really enough to remove, like,
3: whatever genital essence that... Mentally. Uh, mentally. Hmm. <laughs> 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 so then, Nastassi and I were going to start a business where we... I, I, I don't think I can say that on air, but where you have a intentionally, like, a, like a, a batch of, of, like, of, like, baby wipe goo that is intentionally doped with said product right and then one that's not and so then you have like dual sided off on so you can make your own sodas you can make an official soda you have to do the wipe on and then when you're drinking it you do the wipe off i don't think anyone would buy it it's
5: tough sell tough sell tough sell
3: (laughs) tough sell people all right so we had some questions let's get to oh come on face id there we go uh Hey, everyone at Cooking Issues. Thanks for your show. I'm working through your episodes. I'm not sure if you've addressed this issue on your show yet, but I'm looking for any advice on high-altitude cooking you can give. I just moved to Hipster Paradise, Denver, Colorado, and I'm not sure how to adjust my recipes. I'm assuming sous vide won't be affected. I will be using standard apartment electric stovetop until I find a better living situation. Any help will be appreciated more on the electric in a minute. Uh, thank you for your consideration. I really appreciate all the hard work you do. Ryan, not a hipster. Although... Nastasia, have you bent at all on your feeling about hipsters? Are you still.
4: Uh, yeah, yeah.
3: Now that everyone hates them, do you like them? No. Okay. So, uh, a couple of things about altitude. First of all, the fact that you have an electric stove. Remember.
4: You didn't read his thing. Oh, what? <laughs> Isn't that a PS on the bottom?
3: Or no? no, that's this PS. Oh, okay. I'm right here. Stas. Um, yeah. So, anyway, so when you're at, uh, at Denver, and by the way, It gets even worse as you go up from there. As you go, so for all those of you that don't know how the United States works, right, we have this thing called the Great Plains, and then kind of at the end of the Great Plains, as you travel west, you hit the Rocky Mountains, right? So you get these kind of like high plateaus that are relatively flat, and then all of a sudden, bang, Rocky Mountains. But those plateaus are quite high. So Denver is right before the mountains. So Denver is, is this accurate, Matt? You liking this? I
1: cannot believe, this is the most cooking issues thing you've ever done. You're starting your answer of a question. (sighs) about high-altitude cooking by explaining the geography of the United
3: States. Hell
0: yeah!
3: (laughs) All right, let's go. So, by the time you make it to Denver, and this is why, by the way, the Rockies, like, they're really high- but they don't have the—I forget what someone from uh, Denver actually told me once. He's like, so, like, certain mountains, they start low, and then they go real high. But since the Rockies are starting from a mile high anyway, because the plateau that they're coming out of is already a mile high, they don't necessarily seem as high as some other mountains that aren't technically as high. Make sense? Yes. Anyway. Yeah. So— at denver before you get into the mountains before you're going up to like 8000 feet up in aspen or whatever it is 8 8000 whatever the hell it is up there right you're already at a mile high and the temperature at which water boils is going down steadily right so by the time you make it up to 5280 feet Denver, uh, you're looking at about 203 degrees uh, uh, Fahrenheit, which is, I think, like 93 or something, some, somewhere around there, Celsius, right? So water is boiling at uh, a lower temperature. But that, that's what everyone says, which is true, right? So you're like, and I had the unfortunate uh, thing of trying to cook dry beans in Denver, not having thought about it. And yes, it takes forever. And rice takes a lot longer to cook in Denver than it takes down here. But that's only the tip of the iceberg. Notice you said you had an electric stove. One thing that's true, the higher you go in altitude, now, it should work fine in Denver, but the higher you go, the less powerful your gas burner is because the less oxygen there is. And you'd think that you could solve this by adding more Uh, gas, right? By changing out the orifice. So listeners of the show will remember that I had a situation once where I had to cook a turkey on Thanksgiving. It was too cold. I didn't get enough gas output. So I drilled out my orifice uh, so that I could get more gas output, blah, blah, blah. And if any of you want to have discussions of gas orifices, man, I will talk to you about it for free ever because we're dealing with it right now with the Sears All V8. But that's not the solution because it's not that you don't have enough gas coming out of your or if it's you don't have enough freaking oxygen. So what you really need to do is derate your burners or you need to somehow get more oxygen in. Right. So you probably should get either just deal with the fact that you get a more powerful burner and it's not going to be as efficient and you're going to be throwing gas away and spending a lot of extra money or get a burner that's built specifically to function better at higher altitudes. Same thing with your car, by the way. Unless you have some sort of, like, forced air into your car, like a turbo or a supercharger, like, you're going to lose power at altitude in your car. That's why you need to have a more powerful car when you're at higher altitudes, right? Okay. So, or get an electric. Get a Tesla, right? That's what is going to do. Although right now you're driving what? I don't want to. Listen. Stop it. Listen. Listen. (laughs) What what make? Is it Buick?
4: No.
3: Chevy? Yeah. Chevy. I need some advice because Nastasia won't give me. Nastasia needs to get her car inspected, right? But it's got a check engine light. So some genius at Chevrolet, some idiot, decided that a problem with the air conditioning system required instead of like a different light, the check engine light to come on. And maybe they did this before this happened, but you cannot get your car passing inspection with the check engine light on, even if the mechanic puts their probe into your computer reader and the computer reader says, don't worry, it's only the air conditioner. Why? Because then you won't know when the check engine light comes on for something else because the check engine light hasn't been cleared. And so even though everyone who's ever owned a car from the 70s knows that when the air conditioner dies, just take the belt off and the car runs fine, it's just you're going to be uncomfortable. Everybody knows this, right? But you can't do that without getting inspected. So for any of you out there who knows how to defeat the sensor, what year? 92. What? 92. 90-something Chevy, defeat the air conditioner sensor so Nastasia can get her car inspected. Let us know. All right. So the other things (laughs) that happen at altitude. So remember, the water boils at a lower temperature. So that's going to be a problem. Also, evaporative cooling is a huge problem up there, right? So you're going to boil stuff at evap- evaporation. So you have to make sure stuff is covered because stuff's going to boil off a lot faster, right? And oven temperatures are also going to be thrown off, not just by the fact that water is boiling at a lower temperature, but because water is evaporating off of your product a lot faster and doing a lot more evaporative cooling at the surface. So you might need to jack your temperature a little bit. You also might need to add more water to recipes because the stuff's going to evaporate more, and so your stuff's not going to be as moist. Another thing is you'll have to lower the leavening that you use in recipes because they're going to inflate faster. As they inflate faster, they're going to collapse before they can set. So you have to reduce your leavening, increase your water, probably jack your temperatures a little bit. You're going to have to take a lot longer to cook Things that need to soften specific things that are protein based, like meats. Meats will cook at the same temperature. Things that are, but again, you're going to have extra drying at the surface and it you know might take longer to get the temperature higher in, in a braise or something like this. But all in all, the temperature of protein is a temperature of protein. Things like vegetables, which cooking at a very high temperature, like 85 C and above, these things are just going to take a lot longer to cook. Be, be, be aware of it. Um, get yourself a pressure cooker. Get yourself a pressure cooker, because then you can adjust the pressure for things like beans, rice, long-cooking veg. You'll be glad you did. Uh, secondly, look into induction when you're doing it, because just do it, right? All right. Uh, so how long do I have there? Four minutes. Five she, minutes. Four she, minutes. She's Louise. Yep. Um, I've been experimenting with extract brewing at home uh, using malt extract. This is, uh, I don't see, it doesn't say what's from. But whoever it is, they're a male in their early, early 30s, but their girlfriend lives in another state, so they don't, have a hard op- they don't get to have a hard opinion on how many crazy cooking things they can splurge on, but we don't know who this person is, because Nastasia didn't write it down. Uh, I've been experimenting with extract homebrewing for a couple of months now. Uh, I was wanting to experiment with all grain, boil in a bag, which is new.
4: Kevin. Back- Kevin. But also, he didn't write his name in the thing, so...
3: OK, uh, Boil and bag with my ANOVA uh, circulator. However, my largest stock pot is six gallons. Upgrading isn't an option right now, given that most all grain b- brewers use large kettles around eight to 10 gallons to do, uh, you know, a, a five-gallon batch. I was wondering if I could simply downscale all the recipes to fit in a six-gallon kettle with sufficient headspace, would scaling everything down by a factor of 0.8 be acceptable? Yes. Yes, Kevin, you can do that. And I was excited to reel about, uh, read about boil-and-bag brewing. Back when I was doing it, all-grain, right, no one had thought of that yet. So we were all, like, doing our initial mash in a mash tun. Then we were doing sparging, which is where you put water over the grains to get the extra award out of them. Then boiling all that stuff down in hops in a pot. So it was like eight billion pots that you needed to use, and it made a huge mess of my kitchen, which is why I stopped doing all-grain beer brewing at my house right as soon as my second son was born i
1: quit boiling a bag is even better with the scaled down recipe too because that is heavy to get out of there if you're doing like 15 gallon batch
3: really yeah so anyway the yes you can scale it the the, it was the recipes were built from time immemorial around the standard size fermenter everyone used which is the five gallon carboy or if you're like me Five-gallon corny kegs, but even five-gallon corny kegs, really, you only want to put about four gallons into them. So it depends on what you're going to ferment in, but there's there there ain't no problem scaling it down. Matt, what do you say? Correct. Yeah, ain't no problem scaling it down. So do that. So now, in the very few seconds I have left, we still have yet to do. In plastics in the field, yeah. All right. Today we're doing something that's a little bit not cooking, right? It's it's a book that I thought you guys could all go buy but that people hadn't read. In fact, I used to own two copies of this, and I, I, had tr- I, I had trouble giving one away because nobody wants to read something unless they already know it's awesome. Have you noticed this, Josh? If you don't already know it's awesome, people don't want to read it?
6: Unless you, like, get in. I'm a, I'm a third-chapter bailer sometimes. Yeah? I'll, I'll take a risk and read a couple, and then if it's just not holding me, then I'll probably give it away.
3: <laughs> All right. So for those of you that don't know me, which I guess probably most of you do not, like personally know me i i but you know i've said this on air a bunch of times um i am a fan of western style knives and i am a fan of traditional japanese knives i am not a giant fan of the kind of hybrid knives i don't mind the thin knives uh i don't mind the i've gotten you know enough calluses on my uh which finger is this index index finger so that like it doesn't bother me to not have that bolster which sucks for sharpening on a classic german or french knife fine but they they it's the uneven sharpening of like the you know modern like japanese western style knife where it's not fully sharpened on one side chisel sharpened the way that a japanese knife is or 50 50 sharpened the way an old german or french knife is by 50 50 i mean like equal angles on both sides um So anyway, I'm a fan of one or the other. And for those of you that have never owned a traditional Japanese knife, do yourself a favor. Go get a traditional Japanese knife. Uh, You're not going to probably use it for everyday stuff, so get one of the ones that can rust. Don't even even get a stainless one. And just learn to sharpen a traditional Japanese knife. They're a joy. They're a joy. Uh, Get like a... uh, like Even like a... Whatever, they're a joy. But the Japanese kitchen knife, right, is comes out of the tradition of a Japanese uh, samurai sword and sword manufacturer in general. Like, that's where that tradition of knife-making comes from. And for those of you that ever wondered, what's so special about Japanese knife-making? Or what's so special about Japanese sword-making? Go read, go find this book, The Craft of the Japanese Sword. And it goes through, uh, for the first time in English, it was written by... uh, Leon and Hiroko Kapp, who are the American Japanese sword collectors who wrote the book, and uh, Yoshindo Yoshihara, who is a modern, traditional Japanese sword maker. And it goes through in detail, first of all, how how a thousand years ago, the, the techniques... In the absence of kind of modern science or industrial production, the techniques were made to make the finest blades that the world has probably ever known and may ever will know, right? Uh, and then how that technique works from traditional forging, how carbon, how, you know, how forging. So they, the, um, the traditional Japanese steel is called tamahagani, and when Nastassi and I went to Japan, I bought some, and it's made like a couple of times a year in traditional smelters it's regulated by the japanese government and then hand forged to the correct carbon layered layer after layer after layer and then sandwiched into a knife and so if you've ever wanted to really appreciate how japanese knives are made and the care that goes into each individual step or if you just want to see what it's like to really take the process of making something seriously in terms of um just focusing on one thing and doing it to death, which is, by the way, not an American thing. I don't recommend Americans act this way because I don't think we would die. I've told the story on the air a bunch of times how a a famous Kaiseki chef looked at me, and he's like, you've been doing this for what? Like 10 years? I've been... Of course, he was from Kyoto, so he didn't talk like that. But he's like, I've been doing this for 10 generations, jerk! And then he walked away. You know what I mean? Because he didn't want to have a discussion with me about like innovation or changing or knowledge because it's a completely different mentality and most Americans, I don't think, would function well under the mentality of doing the same thing for 10 generations. It just would chafe us. Wouldn't it chafe you, Seth? Yes, David. Anyway, so the craft of the Japanese sword, go check it out. I'm very, like, see if you can do a look inside. See if you can find it. The picture-by-picture, picture, uh, bl- like, breakdown of how polishing works, the polishing chapter alone is, like, holy crap, when you read it, the pictures of them forging and making uh, the swords all by hand is, like, life-changing, watching people do this. Unfortunately, on Amazon, probably due to a temporary blip, copies are going up for $159. But check on ABE, see if you can get it. The Craft of the Japanese Sword. Greatest sword book ever written! Cooking Issues. Cooking Issues is powered by Simplecast.